How do I know what I think until I see what I say? I'm your host, Jacob Goronsky, and welcome to From the Green Notebook, where we create leaders one podcast at a time. So if you don't feel like reading a blog today, then sit back and listen as we discuss some of the most important topics and talk with some of the most innovative leaders of today. So please subscribe and make sure you listen to these exclusive episodes. Today's episode is sponsored by Emblem Athletic, the best option out there for keeping your unit looking amazing with custom shirts, hoodies, and other gear. They're a veteran-owned business that specializes in making it easy for you. And if you've ever ordered unit gear, you know how difficult it can be. Emblem knows you have better things to do than design gear, collect money, and worst of all, sort through a bunch of shirts. Emblem takes care of everything, including, get this, free shipping worldwide. When it comes to something like a deployment shirt, you know you're going to have this for the rest of your life. So trust Emblem to deliver the best, guaranteed. Visit www.emblemathletic.com to get started with a free online store today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and thank you for joining us for episode one, season one of From the Green Notebook. Can't even begin to tell you how excited I am. I think we have a really great season lined up for you. We're going to have a total of eight episodes. We're going to sit down with some amazing people. We are, we're going to sit down with the former president of a Fortune 500 company. We're going to sit down with the uh, deputy commanding general of a special forces unit. We're going to sit down with authors, writers. We're even going to sit down with the co-founder of the Princeton Review, as well as the founder and creator of From the Green Notebook. So for our first time listeners, uh, let me just share a little bit about From the Green Notebook with you. From the Green Notebook was a blog that was started by Joe Barley in 2013 uh, as a forum and a a way for him to share his thoughts on self-development. Since then, over the past seven years, it's grown to a team of seven has published over 350 articles from military leaders in the United States, Germany, Belgium, France, and the UK. The blog has had over 1 million visitors, and it's had over 2 million views. So as you can see, over the past seven years, From the Green Notebook has been pretty successful and has built a loyal following. So it was an easy decision for me when Joe had come to me and asked if I'd like to be a part of this and if I'd like to do this podcast. You know, this type of thing wasn't even on my radar. I'd never thought about doing something like this. And then in a span of about three weeks, I had about four or five different people who were pretty close to me say, hey, listen, you have a great radio voice. Have you ever thought about trying something uh, along the lines of Audible or podcasting? And up until that point, I, I hadn't. But I did some research and I found out that it's fairly simple to start a podcast or start auditioning for Audible readings. So I just went ahead with it and I bought the equipment and I figured I'd give it a go. And it was just in passing a a conversation with Joe that I told him that, hey, this is something I would like to do. This is something I'm trying to do. This is something I want to pursue. And and a couple of weeks later, he had just happened to reach out and he said, hey, listen, I want to take some of the the more well-received articles from the blog and I want to turn them into audible versions. So for people who are at the gym, driving, just don't have the time to actually sit down 
and read the blog can just sit down and listen to the audio version of the article itself. So then that kind of morphed into, well, what if we did one reading episode and then we did interviews and we talked to some of the, you know, basically we started going over the people that we knew. We started kind of talking about our mentors, people in our life that knew a lot about leader development. And we thought, why don't we get these people on the show? Why don't we interview them and have them share with us their experience, what they've learned, their knowledge? So before we knew it, we had about four or five guests lined up and this thing was a go. It happened really quickly. And I can't thank Joe enough for for asking me to be a part of it. And again, I'm really excited because I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And I hope you continue to join us throughout season one. So in our conversation, I thought, why not for the first episode, sit down with the creator and founder of From the Green Notebook? A little bit of background on Joe. Uh, He's a graduate of the University of North Georgia. He's also a non-resident fellow with the Modern War Institute at West Point. Joe has published over 50 articles in publications such as the Military Review, Modern War Institute, Naval War College Review, Army Magazine, War on the Rocks, We Are the Mighty. He's been featured in Forbes Online. He's appeared on several podcasts, and he's always being invited to speak at events. Joe's received the Army's General Douglas MacArthur Leadership Award. He's been awarded the Legion of Merit, Bronze Star, Meritorious Service Medal, and a Purple Heart. So it's important for you to know that Joe started this in his free time because of his passion with leader development and because of his passion in growing himself and others around him. So without further ado, please welcome to the show my friend and mentor, Joe Byerly. Hey, thanks for having me, Jacob. Yeah, great. So let's just dive right into it. First podcast, uh, you know, we thought that, um, you know, since this is from the Green Notebook podcast, based off of the From the Green Notebook blog, what better way to start it out than having you, um, you know, host the show with me today. So thank you again for coming on here. First question, you know, maybe just explain a little bit about From the Green Notebook. Uh, where did it come from? What's your, what, what motivated you to start it? And, um, you know, how long it's been going on and, and maybe where you see it going from here? Yeah, no, thanks, Jacob. And uh, but before I get started, I just want to say thank you so much for, um, you know, had several conversations uh, before we even thought about a podcast. And and then once, once we brought it up, you know, you were all over, you know, hosting it. So I really appreciate you, um, you know, jumping on board and being part of our team. Yeah, of course, no problem. I'm I'm also very excited to be doing this as well. So yeah, man. So in uh, in like 2012, 2013, I was a, a captain in the. Uh, I'm still in the army, but I was a captain back then, and uh, I was working on a project for then Major General H R McMaster, and we were creating a self study program for maneuver leaders for the United States Army. The platform we were using was all DoD um, architecture. And as we were creating this website, I was amazed at how much red tape and bureaucracy we ran ran into. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like, you know, that the same process to build a website was to, you know, create a new tank or or, or a new vehicle in the army. It was just, it was crazy. And so uh, we we created this program. It basically was a syllabus. Um, It was, it was online. And, um, you know, shortly after we created it, he left and uh, a couple a couple commanders later at the Maneuver Center, they, they got rid of the program, um, you know, handed it off to a, a contractor and eventually they cut his contract and then it disappeared. But it was in that process 
that I realized that I could probably do the same thing, do it on my own. And uh, I had some great friends who were already blogging at the time and their blogs were pretty successful. And so I, I wanted to, to give it a go myself. And so I started the website and wanted it to be a place where leaders could come and learn lessons that we all have in our green notebooks. And so I started in 2013. And hey, it's, it's been pretty successful since then, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I never thought that it would, I'd be doing it, you know, seven years later. And so a couple of years into it, I started getting more and more challenging jobs and I couldn't keep up the content on the website. And luckily for me, I had friends who wanted to contribute. And so all of a sudden it became, went from my blog to, you know, my friends contributing as well. And then eventually, you know, people from all over the world started contributing. Sure. So part of that blog or part of the From the Green Notebook, you you put out a monthly reading list, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that that's very interesting to me because I always see this come out and I'm like, I just say to myself, I remember when I was in New York, I used to ride the subway to and from work and that was a good two hours I had every day to read. So I would just get through books fairly quickly. Now, family, job, it's just, I just can't keep up with it and I can't read as much as I used to. How do you find the time really throughout your day or throughout your week? to set aside those moments for reading to get through a lot of these books that you that you put on that list. Yeah, that's a great question, Jacob. And I think I think if 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 you're passionate about something you're going to make time for it. And so um a practice that I started a couple of years ago is I I've started waking up early very early in the morning. You know, I, I wake up at five o'clock every day and I, I take about 20 to 30 minutes of reading uh, or 30, 20, 30 minutes of time to read. And that time adds up. So all of a sudden, you realize that after a week or two, spending that time reading, that that you've knocked out a book or or at least you know plowed through one. The the other thing that I've done too is is I read a couple books at at one time. When when you read, do you read one or? Yeah, I do. So right now, I'm I'm definitely one of those individuals that when I start a book, I I feel I need to finish it before I pick up another one and kind of get lost in that book. So for sure, I'm definitely like a one book at a time type of reader. So that's how I started out. And, you know, we have these books uh, in the military profession. They're kind of like the canon, like the must read books. And that, that's where I started. And I found that some of them were so dry and boring that it would take me months to, to, you know, to make it through. I'd read a couple pages at a time and just stop. And so what I found was that if I start reading two, three, maybe even four books at the same time, you know, and, and they range from fiction to, to nonfiction to biographies to, you know, maybe something about a war. And so I'll read a couple of pages, I'll put it down, I'll read another book, put it a uh, couple of pages. So it, it keeps the books interesting. And it, at no time in there am I not reading. You know, that's a great point, because I remember when we had a conversation last week, you spoke about, I said that I don't read nonfiction books anymore, because I feel like kind of I've wasted enough of my time throughout my military not educating myself enough. And, and now that I'm older, I said, man, I wish I had done more to educate myself. So I try to stick to nonfiction uh, books. And you told me actually that's it's better to every once in a while pick up a fiction book. I was the same way. I, I was reading nonfiction all the time. And uh, I had a commander that said, hey, if you really want to start thinking outside the box, you need to start reading some some fiction and, and science fiction. And there's a, there's a great, great quote by uh, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Martin Dempsey. He compares fiction to like a laboratory for your mind. You can do all sorts of experiments and think through things that you never would have done otherwise. Sure. And so... That's something that I think that that's good to do every now and then. I have a buddy who calls it brain candy. He has to throw some of that in there with the brain vegetables, the nonfiction. And so it's just a 
it's a great way to expand your mind and to do it in a way that it's actually fun and enjoyable. So then that kind of transitions right into my next question. And I can, I think you just answered that, but do you still enjoy reading? I mean, I know some books you obviously enjoy reading more than others, but uh, is it a job to you or is it a pastime? Do you actually get a lot of enjoyment out of it? No, I I love learning, Jacob. And it's something that that I think is important, not only for my career, but um, I I think if you're in the military, um, if you're in the private sector, if, if you work for a nonprofit, you know, if you're in a leadership position, coaching, teaching, whatever, I think that reading is a way to expand your horizons and to uh, to expand your perspective to to do better at your job. And so I, I just I, that's always in the back of my mind as I'm reading. And so it's it's just something that I enjoy. I find it relaxing, and I love learning new things. You know, I wasn't a great student in college, and so I think I'm trying to. Neither was I. <laughs> yeah. And and the first time I wasn't a great student. There's been multiple attempts at college for me. So that's okay. Um, a lot of times, then reading really transitions into writing. I mean, obviously that you write because you ha- you have a blog. So how did that start? You know, were you a good writer to start with or was it something that came natural to you? Um, or did you have to work at it and really put effort into uh, becoming a, a proficient writer? I, I remember that about the time I realized that I wanted to start writing for professional publications and I saw other people doing it. I was like, I, I think I could do this. And so I started writing and I remember I would send my my drafts off to other people for editing and they would just rip it apart. I mean, it was terrible. I remember the very first article that I wrote for a, a peer review journal, the Military Review. It took me six and a half months to write it, you know, going back and forth with, with uh, people I knew, mentors, editing it. And uh, it wasn't accepted. And, and that took forever, you know, to, to work on that. But over time, getting the repetitions in, and learning from the edits that I was receiving from mentors, from peers, I found that I, it was easier. It was coming more naturally. I was finding a voice in it and I started enjoying it a lot more and then therefore started doing it a lot more. You talk about getting things torn apart and I had an experience. We t- talked about multiple attempts at college, but uh, in one of my attempts, I, I remember I submitted my first paper and I, I felt like I was a good writer. I felt like I was I was in the military at the time and I submitted my first, one of my first uh, college writing assignments and my teacher, to your point, just tore it apart. So I found out at that point that there's definitely different styles of writing, whether you're doing an educational piece, maybe an op-ed piece, something technical. So how do you, or how would you tell somebody how to tailor their writing specifically to their audience? Yeah, I think think one of the things that that I do that really helps me is one is who am I writing for? Like I actually picture the the person or people that I'm trying to reach when I write. And a lot of it, a lot of the the people I'm trying to reach is like a younger version of me is, uh, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my military career and I wish I could go back and fix them. And so as I'm sitting there writing, I'm writing to a younger version of myself, somebody who wants to do well, but isn't quite cutting it yet. And so that's one thing. So is, is have the person in mind who you're writing to. The next thing is, why are you writing it in the first place? You know, a lot of times people will write, um, I, I see it a lot of times with uh, submissions to the blog is people will write a thousand words and I'll, I'll get to the end of it. And I had no idea what they were trying to say. And so I, I think a key thing is what message are you getting across and write it, write that to yourself across the top and just keep that in mind as you're going through and writing, um, you know, who am I speaking to? And what do I want them to walk away from this post with? I think that's a fantastic point, Joe, because with technology today, I don't know that people write many rough drafts anymore. You know, I can remember when I was in school, when I was a a young man and I first started writing, rough draft was part of the process. And now 
because you have spell check, because you have word. I find that even myself, I include myself in this. I would write something and then the tendency to get that rough draft and read it over and move things around and edit it yourself isn't taken advantage as much as it should be. And to your point, if you did a rough draft and you actually sit down and hand write a rough draft or type out a rough or type out a rough draft and then print it out, that might help you realize who your audience is and who you're talking to. As again, because one of the quotes that we use on the show um, goes into that. Explain that a little bit for me. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Jacob. And as you were talking, I was seeing that quote form in my mind is, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? A lot of times we have a message that we want to get across. And as we write that message out, we realize it Maybe maybe the logic doesn't quite add up, um, or sure. maybe you know what I'm not really trying to say. A, I really want to say B, but the only way we're going to know those things is if we write it out. And so that's one of the things that I I think has been really that I've learned through the process is just getting words down on paper. I think the scariest thing for any writer, for anybody writing for you know professional uh, purposes or whatever, I I think the biggest fear is a blank page. And once you get the words out on a page, man, I mean, it, it just, you can start shaping, you can start editing, but the important thing is to get that first draft out. Just get your thoughts out, just look at them, and then you can start going back. Um, you know, one of the things that I kind of look at writing is like a, a block of wood and, you know, you just have to start shaving it down to eventually get that bear with the fish, fishing rod that you'll see on like the, the sides at roadside stands and stuff. Um, but, it, but it's constant shaving, constant shaping, and then eventually you'll get to, to something that's very clean and manageable. Yeah. And, and for the writers out there, I would say sometimes it means starting with a new block of wood as well. <laughs> you know, I know sometimes I, I started projects and, and I shaped it and, and then the finished product was, it just didn't come together the way that I wanted to. And, and don't get discouraged. It, writing is definitely takes practice, um, like anything we do in life. So sometimes it means starting over, unfortunately, and, and that can be, tiresome, but sometimes if you're going to be a good writer, that's what it takes. So I have to ask you, when you've written things and thrown them out, like, and you realize that it wasn't going to work, how did that shape your thinking? To your point, you've already said it once, right? And now that you're, to, to go back to your quote, you're seeing it again. So you can kind of see what your thoughts are and, and what thoughts you may want to focus on and what areas you may not want to focus on anymore. So I think to your point, absolutely you can get through that a lot faster. So yeah, I think that's another great point. So if you do have to shape that piece of wood, you've already spent you know, numerous time carving, shaving that wood. So you're becoming more proficient at it as you're doing it. So that second piece of wood that you get, or in this example, the second piece of writing is going to be easier to write than the first. I, I think that's an excellent point, Joe. Yeah, and uh, there, there's a great quote by a, a famous writer, Anne Lamont. She says, sometimes it takes three bad drafts to get that fourth really good one, the one you were actually looking for in the first place. Kind of building off of that, if you can share with me real quickly, just to give kind of a background, I know you had come to me, you said, hey, can we do this podcast? It, it's based off of From the Green Notebook. I have a pretty good following. I have some loyal people, and I'd like to take the next step and, and get something out on uh, on a podcast. I'm sure that's not the first conversation that's that's occurred between people like you and I. So why should people listen to this podcast? What makes From the Green Notebook podcast special? And why are our readers and hopefully listeners going to tune in every week for for our episodes? Yeah, I think I think one, Jacob, I think, you know, we we've had so many conversations, man. I I, I 
And one of the reasons I asked you to be a part of this team is that I think you asked the right questions. And I think that's, that's a great trait for great leaders is they ask the right questions. So I think that's the, the first thing. I think, and the second thing is, you're right, like From the Green Notebook has this amazing following. I would be lying right now if I said that that was because of me. Like We, we have a great team of volunteers. We have Megan Yantos, Gary Klein, Cassie Crosby. And then we just added to our team, Connor Collins, uh, Valerie Nostrand, and, uh, and Josh Bowen. And so there's a great group of volunteers that's just been building this blog over, over the years. And so as a result of that, we've connected with amazing leaders, both in the military and private sector, and then just amazing authors, you know, who've written great books that you'll be interviewing, um, you know, over the course of the seasons. And people will be able to learn from. So I think this podcast is, is going to be great. Make you a bit uncomfortable here. Um, you know, you said it's not because of you, but it is because of you. I mean, you, you started this, you were the founder and people don't just, I mean, they follow an idea, but they also, you know, they follow a person, right? So these individuals that you spoke of, if you didn't have good relationships with them and they didn't respect you, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have gone into this. Just like when you asked me, I was excited about it because fortunately I know you, I know the person you are. So it was an easy decision for me to say, yeah, I'll put some effort into this. So obviously there is some good leadership qualities there. And that's what this podcast is trying to is delve into is leader development and help those young officers or young individuals who want to become better leaders. So along those lines, give me some of your top lessons you've learned or top qualities or top traits that good leaders need to have. Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of things. I think one, like le- great leaders need to have self-awareness. They need to understand where their strengths and, and where their weaknesses are and then surround themselves with people who are going to help minimize their weaknesses and help them amplify their strengths. And so the, the whole Green Notebook team is is that embodiment, right? Like it's it's people who like one of my weaknesses is attention to detail. Like I, I'm just terrible at it, but I have people in the team who are very detail oriented and so when, as we edit post my own or, or submissions, they're able to see those errors and prevent that from getting onto the website. Another thing too, I think is, uh, is empathy, like being able to understand the other person's, you know, where the other person's coming from, their point of view and, and why they did the things they did. And so, you know, that, that's a key thing. And then the, the third piece, uh, or there's two more. One is to uh, be able to communicate. And that's, that's written, that's verbally, but that's being able to communicate your vision, communicate your intent, being able to take the ideas that are in your head and make them so other people understand them. I think great leaders do that. And then the, the final one, Jacob, is like great leaders lead. You know, great leaders drive organizations to excellence. And so th- those are where I think that uh, th- that's what I want to be as a leader. And I think that that's the mark of a great leader. Those are fantastic. I mean, we could talk all day, I think, just on those four principles and go deeper into those. But, you know, your first one that you brought up about self-awareness, I I think that's so important. And I also think that it's important in my experience as a leader that self-awareness also means, to me, translates into self-improvement, right? As a good leader, I think you mentioned one of your weaknesses. It's hard or it's easy, I should say, to to get caught up into your people sometimes and, and look at how to better them. And I think, you, you know, stepping aside and looking at yourself and how to better yourself is also going to turn you into you know, a better leader as well. Um, so I think that self-awareness is a great point. And, and, you know, empathy is an interesting one because I don't think empathy is a new concept in leadership at all. But to me, I, I would 
go as far as saying that it might be catching some fire when it comes to leadership. And especially I can say in the military realm, you know, when I was, I was in the Air Force and as a young airman, empathy was not something that was on the mind of our leaders. It wasn't, you know, how do you feel? You know, how do I um, grow you into a good person? It was, we have a job to do and you need to do that job and get it done. And the job is more important than you. Do you see a shift or has it always been there? And maybe I just didn't, I just didn't notice it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think there has been a shift. I think it's, it's a little, it's a little different. Um, you know, there's a post we ran on the website a while back from Lieutenant General Rainey. It's how to do leader development. And one of the, one of the biggest downfalls leader development or pitfalls of leader development we do in the military is that we try to do one size fits all. And one of the things that Lieutenant General Rainey says is, is leader development needs to be personalized. It doesn't need to be cookie cutter for everybody in the organization. Like everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And you need to understand where those people are coming from and then tailor leader development to fit their needs. And so I think it, I think it is picking more steam because you have, you have leaders like him, you have other leaders out there who are, who are capitalizing um, or promoting empathy. And then they're bringing up leaders uh, in their wake that also see it that way as well. So Joe, I think that's a great point. And I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, this is hopefully the first of many podcasts. And I'd just like to end with one last question. And, and I think you know what that question is going to be, because we've had a lot of conversations about this, uh, the author, Simon Sinek. And I know that we both buy into a lot of his principles. And one of those principles is start with why. And without getting into too much detail, could you just share with us, what is your why? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, Jacob. My, my why is uh, I am focused on helping leaders lead with the best version of themselves. And, and that's what I do the blog for, um, you know, as, as, a, as a leader in the military in my day job, it's something that like I, I try to develop in others is I want people to lead with the best version of themselves. And so everything we do on the blog, everything that you and I are going to do together in this podcast is going to be focused on helping people be the best version of themselves. So that's, that's a great question. And, and b- before we wrap up, Jacob, again, I just have to say thanks for taking on this project. I'm super excited to see where you're going to take the podcast over in, into the future. And I think it's going to, going to be as big, if not bigger than the blog itself. Sounds like you got a great team and I'm, I'm happy to be part of that team right now. Um, and speaking of the future, hopefully um, we can get uh, all of our listeners to tune in next week because we're actually going to be sitting down uh, with author Michael McClellan and he's going to uh, be on the podcast. So thank you again to all our listeners and thank you for joining us and please join us next week. Make sure you check us out at uh, fromthegreennotebook.com. You can read posts, listen to past episodes of the podcast, subscribe to the monthly reading list and uh, Sunday email. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FTGN Notebook and Facebook and Instagram as well. Finally, please subscribe to the podcast and give us five stars on iTunes if you like what we're doing here so you can help us get From the Green Notebook out to more listeners. So I'm Jacob Goronsky signing off and we'll hope to see you next week.